0: Let's read together the scriptures and we're reading from the New Testament, uh, Romans uh, chapter uh, we're going to begin with Romans chapter 3 and read a section there uh, because it sets the context uh, from or for chapter 5, Romans chapter 3, it's page 1130 in the church Bible and if you want to think of it in this way. It's the dark backcloth cloth uh, of um, sinful humanity against which the glorious gospel of Christ shines. So it's darkness and light, black and uh, white, if you want to put it like that. So let's look at the dark picture first of all. Romans chapter 3 and verse uh, 21. Uh, Sorry, verse 9. Sorry, verse 9. I've got the wrong verse. Paul has been writing about the Jews and he's been writing about the Gentiles and then he asks this question What shall we conclude then? Are we Jews any better? Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are all under sin. As it is written There is no one righteous not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be silenced, the whole world held accountable to God therefore no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law rather through the law we become conscious of sin but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those Who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. And then Romans chapter 5, he writes now, he gives Abraham as an example of one who was justified by faith. In chapter 4, by faith in Christ, and now he comes to speak of the blessings that flow to those who are justified by faith. Chapter 5, page 1132. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still parlous, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Well, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 13. 5. Last weekend should have been our monthly guest service uh, and so I moved it on to uh, this weekend uh, and uh, our text for this month is Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, page 1132 in the Church Bible. As we have noted already in our introduction to the scripture reading, uh, in the opening chapters of this letter, and it's a letter addressed to the church in the city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire uh, at the time in which Paul lived. And in the opening chapters, the Apostle Paul shows that all mankind uh, is under sin. doesn't matter whether you have long roots back into the church for centuries, such as the Jews had. Growing up familiar with the word of God. Growing up used to the worship of God. The reality is that the Jew uh, then, uh, and the person like the Jew today, the church going person, is by nature under sin. But so also, Paul says, is the Gentile. The person who is if you want to play like this, the outsider uh, to the things of God, who has not uh, been familiar with uh, the fact that there is one living and true God. who's not been brought up on a diet of the word of God. He's not been used to going to the place where there is um, worship offered uh, to um, signify the forgiveness of sins by the shedding of blood. And then the building up of faith uh, through the ministry of the word. Those people too, Gentiles, and those people today in our community who never darken a church door, they need to realize they're under sin. And both Jew and Gentile, religious and irreligious, church-going, non-church-going, deserve God's judgment. But Paul shows that into this black, dark situation there comes light, there comes grace in the person of Jesus Christ and in the work that he has accomplished by his life and death and resurrection so that it is possible for Paul and Jews and Gentiles in his day and us in our day to experience God's grace. To know God's forgiveness, to have peace with God and to rejoice in God rather than living in terror of him. And Paul sums this up in Romans chapter 5 verse 8, our text for the month of July from the calendar that we've distributed in the community. But God demonstrates his own love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our theme this evening is God's demonstration of love. Let's begin by asking the question. How do you demonstrate your love for others? How do you as a parent, as a grandparent, demonstrate or as a family member, demonstrate your love for your children or grandchildren? Well, we do that by embracing our children, uh, by hugging them, uh, by spending time with them, by providing for them. There's a host of ways in which we demonstrate our love for children within the uh, family and within the church family. How do you demonstrate your love as a friend to someone else? Well, you do so by being there for that person. You do so by caring. You do so by sharing and again many, many other ways. How do you demonstrate your love as a spouse to your husband or wife? Well, it's by that life of living together and seeking to understand each other. And that life of mutual help to each other, doing things together, spending time together by talk and by touch, demonstrating our love at a human level. And tonight as we consider our text, I want us to think about God's demonstration of love. And there are two questions we want to ask, uh, or there's two points that we want to make. You can take it. Uh, Whichever way, Uh, I put them in the form of a question. To whom does God demonstrate his love? To whom does God demonstrate his love? That's a vital question. And our text answers it. It says, us, God demonstrates his own love towards us. Now, in the context of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, who are the us? Well, Paul obviously includes himself, and he includes, includes the church at Rome. He includes Jews, he includes Gentiles, both those who have no church background and those whose roots go back into the church and family tree for centuries. They're the us, but then surely this us widens to include all in every generation and in every place and from every background who repent of their sin and look to the Lord Jesus as their Saviour. You and I are included in the us god demonstrates his love to us. To whom does he demonstrate his love? To us. Now lest you and I get carried away with then some sense of importance or worthiness, uh, Paul uh, shows his readers uh, and us that we do not deserve this love. There's nothing good in us that would cause God um, or require God to show love to us. And I want us to note just quickly the four words that Paul uses in verses 6 and 10 to explain the kind of people we are. Here we are. Um, Verse 8. Sinners. Verse 6, the ungodly. Verse 10, enemies. Verse 6, powerless. The us are sinners. Verse 8, we are those who have departed. The word sin here, the word that's used, is the idea of to depart from God's path, to turn from God's way. To miss the target. We are twisted and we are perverted people in our inner person. So God shows his love towards us. Towards sinners. Verse 6 then. The ungodly. Without those without God. Those who have no time for God. Those who live in rebellion against God. The us are the ungodly. Then verse 10. Uh, the us. God shows his love to us. His enemies. His enemies. And the idea here is. That we cherish. Uh, by nature. A hostility towards God. That is deep seated. That is stubborn. That is persistent. That refuses His authority. We are not right with God. We are as it were in the opposite side to God. We are at loggerheads with God. Uh, And we are in opposition to God. That's the us. And then um, the us uh, are powerless. Uh, Verse uh, 6. We read... um, while we were still powerless, powerless. In other words, we were without any virtue, we were without any ability to come to God, or to become right with God by ourselves. So Paul immediately, um, um, in, in speaking of God demonstrating his love towards us, Shows us precisely the kind of people that God shows his love towards. Towards sinners, towards the ungodly, towards his enemies, towards uh, the powerless. And you see, there's the great difference between God's manifestation of love and Your demonstration of love and my demonstration of love. To whom do you and I show love? Well, it is to those we consider worthy. To those who like us. And to those who are like us. And to those whom we like. Or to those who are our own flesh and blood. We show love to those that we consider deserve it. But you see, God, by contrast, by contrast, his love is staggering. His love is unsurpassed. His love is unequaled by humans because he demonstrates his love to sinners, to the ungodly, to his enemies, the powerless. His love is in a class of its own. And what a wonderful thing it is that God does show his love to sinners, to the ungodly, to his enemies, to the powerless. Because if he didn't, you and I would not be here tonight. And you and I would not be going to heaven tonight. If it were not that God showed his love towards us while we were yet sinners. So to whom does God show or demonstrate his love? But then secondly, by whom does God demonstrate his love? By whom or through whom? How is this love that God has and God is in heaven, and we're here in the earth. How does this love, uh, how is it mediated to us? How does it flow to us? By what channel does it come to us? And notice what Paul says. But God demonstrates His own love towards us. Christ died for us. Christ died for us. And you see, Paul is reminding. Uh, his readers the Jewish readers and the Gentile readers that God's demonstration of love is bound up in the person of Christ. It's displayed. It is discovered. It is experienced in the person of Christ. And who is This Christ. Is he an angel? No he isn't. Is he a prophet? No not just a prophet. Is he a human being? A good man or a righteous man? No. He is none other. This Christ is none other than God's Son. Look at verse 10. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Reconciled to God through the Christ. And who is the Christ? His son. Verse 11. He's referred to as the Lord Jesus Christ. And that threefold name can be broken down. He is the Lord the one who is king over all things and over all people in all places and all events is the one who is Lord. But he's also Jesus, the one born at Nazareth to Mary, the one who lived and walked the streets and the roads of Galilee and of Canaan. The one who died on the cross. He is the Lord, but he's also Jesus. And then he's the Christ. And the Christ takes us back to the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament was talking again and again about the Christ. About the Messiah. Christ is just the Greek word for Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah. So it spoke about one promised And so we see here the absolute uniqueness of God's demonstration of his love. It's by his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice that it is by a particular and specific act of his Son. Christ died for us. And then verse 10, through the death of a son. You and I are not saved through the teaching of a son. Important though that teaching is. We're not saved through the example of a son. That we are to seek to follow as closely as we can. Important though his example is is we're not saved through the prayers of the son important and wonderful though it is that the son prays for people no we're saved through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ not through anything else not through his teaching his example his miracles or anything else What kind of a death did God's Son die? Was it natural? Was it the outcome of old age? No, he died at 33 years of age. He died in the prime of life. Was it as a result of illness? Because young people do die through illness. And young people here this evening don't think that you're going to have necessarily 40, 60, 80 years of life. You could die when you're a child. And that's why you need to know and experience this love of God. No, Jesus' death was not through an illness. Was it through an accident? Something that befell in that nobody knew what was going to happen and he went out one morning and he never came back home again no it's not like that because he talks eh, as he talks about the time has come and he knows that he's got to die and he knows that he's not going to die by old age or in old age or illness or an accident he's going to die for a purpose He's going to die the death of a criminal. He's going to die, and he did die, the death of one cursed by God. Because cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree or upon a cross. And his death, you see, is a substitutionary death. A substitute is somebody who takes the place of another a game of football, a game of rugby and a player becomes injured and a substitute who is healthy and strong is brought on and you and I we've been weakened by the sin and the ungodliness and the powerlessness that is ours through Adam and so God provides a substitute who dies in the place of sinners. Who dies in the place of the ungodly. Who dies in the place of his enemies. It's just the remarkable thing. That the Christ dies not for those who are his friends. Not for those who are good. Not for those who are righteous. But for those who are wicked. For those who are enemies. And so as Paul puts it here. The death of Christ, as a substitute for sinners, makes it a reconciling death. A death that bridges this huge gap between a holy God and sinful men and women. And here now is the bridge, the Christ, his sinless life, offered up as the sacrifice for others. So that the sinner can be reconciled to God. So God demonstrates his love. By his son. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who died to reconcile sinners to God. To bring. To reconcile God to his enemies uh, to impart power to the weak and the powerless and so what response are you and I to make to this demonstration of God's love can we say so what can we say big deal are we to shrug our shoulders and go home are we to say, as people said to Paul later, that's very interesting. I would like to think about that at another time when it's more convenient. Nowhere to say how kind, how gracious, how wonderful. And we're to lay hold of God's demonstration of love. We're to allow ourselves to be embraced and encompassed by it. We're to receive it. There's nothing more painful for a parent or for you as a friend than for to reach out in love, to demonstrate love, and for that love to be rejected. We always want our love, don't we, to be received. And you see, that's what you and I are to do. We are to receive this demonstration of God's love. And we do that, as Paul emphasizes in the earlier part of what we read, and from Romans chapter 3, through faith in Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, by laying hold of him in faith, And saying, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner by nature. Lord Jesus, I'm ungodly by nature. Lord Jesus, I'm your enemy by nature, the enemy of God. And I am powerless. And so come, Lord God, and manifest in my heart and in my life your own love. Towards me by showing me that Christ died for me and enabling me to lay hold of him in repentance and faith. What a wonderful demonstration of love for (coughs) sinners and the ungodly and the enemies and the powerless. And what a glorious way in which it has been demonstrated that God would give his son and he would die and take the curse and bring salvation for us. Amen. Let's pray our heads and let's pray. We thank you, Almighty God, for your great and glorious demonstration of your love that cannot be paralleled or surpassed by anything that we do or that we show either to others or to you. O Lord God, we thank you That while we were yet sinners, you sought us, and Christ died for us. And we thank you that in the fullness of time, you have applied Christ's death to many of us here this evening, unto salvation. We pray, Lord God, for any tonight who have no sense or awareness of, no joy or delight in your love, That they this evening might come to experience it through repentance, through faith, so that they can say to God demonstrates his love towards me in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. We praise you for this great love. In Jesus' name, Amen.